If you would to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, uh, we'll be there in a minute, but I, uh, I, as I was studying for the message this morning, I, I was reminded of a story I heard many years ago. Uh, uh, the, most of you know that I'm, I, I, I love history, particularly World War II history is one of those things I, I just love to read. And, but anyway, um, one of Winston Churchill's greatest speeches was also one of his shortest speeches. You know, and I, I don't know about you, but I kind of, when it comes to speeches, the shorter they are, the better they are. Um, and you'll probably think in the same thing with sermons. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, uh, in an address to his alma mater, October 29th, 1941, Winston Churchill <clears throat> said uh, in his uh, immutable um, fashion to the student body, Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to the conviction of honor and good sense. I, I love that. I love that quote, uh, that, that, uh, that speech. It was short to the point and what he was trying to do, I believe, what he was trying to do was prepare the students because he knew what was coming. The perseverance, the persecution, the, the possibility of even defeat. Because early in 1941, England was all alone. They, you know, the, uh, the U.S. had not enter, entered the war yet. It wasn't until the end of 41 when the, uh, the United States got into the war. And they were all alone. And Churchill was trying to instill into his people the attitude of not quitting. But long before Churchill, Jesus Christ encouraged us never to quit. In our passage this morning, We'll see that. Luke chapter 18, let's start reading in verse 1. And he said, or excuse me, and he spake a parable <clears throat> unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint, saying there, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord spake, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he uh, bear long with them? 
I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, he shall find faith, or excuse me, will he find faith? Uh, um, never, oh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble again. Uh, nevertheless, when the Son of Man uh, uh, cometh, shall he find f- faith on the earth? What a question. Will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I do ask as we spend time around your word that you would encourage our hearts. You would um, help us, dear God. Lord, I ask that you'd be with me this morning with with my, my migraine, that you just help me to be able to focus and, and uh, say the things I need to say. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This parable is known as the parable of the unjust judge. It is uh, it, it, this morning. I my hope my hope this morning is to communicate to you several foundational truths that we are given here. Jesus Jesus uh, in this parable really helps us see a lot, and on the surface, it, it it's it's almost a I don't know, uh, just a parable, and, you, and, and on the surface we can read it and we can say, okay, what's the point? Or we, you know, just to pray and to just keep praying. Well, it's much more than that. Much more than that. In verse one, obviously we are we are told not to faint, and and we are to pray, and not to faint. Now, <clears throat> I have only fainted one time in my life. And it was it was honestly it was kind of it was kind of a scary thing. Um, how, how many of you were in the military? Just raise your hand. Okay, we have several several people in the military. One at least when I was in, one of the first things they told you in boot camp was when you're standing at attention, what was the one thing you were not supposed to do? There you go. <laughs> do not lock your knees because why? If you do, you will. There you go. <laughs> well, there's one day we were, I don't know, for whatever reason, we got in trouble for some. I mean, you get in trouble in boot camp for no reason. <clears throat> I mean, they, you stay in trouble, right? Those of you that have been there, they just make up stuff. Anyway, we got in trouble. So we were outside, and this, it was a hot day, and the sun was just beating down. We're standing we were standing at attention on concrete. So it's like standing on a mirror, right? And it seemed like we had been there for hours for whatever we did wrong. We probably didn't, I don't know. Anyway, you guys know. And standing there, and it just, the sun and the, 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 the glare and everything, and I made the mistake of locking my knees. And I went down, and I just I I I, I never lost consciousness, but I I, I <laughs> the poor guy in front of me, pow, knocked him. He hit the guy in front of him. It was like a domino, just poof. It was actually now I can look at it and think it was kind of funny, but but then it was really embarrassing because everybody knew what I'd done. 
Fainting can be a scary, scary event. Because when I was falling, I was aware of everything that was going on, but I could do nothing about it. And Jesus tells us not to faint, to pray, and not to faint. My message this this morning is very simple. Don't quit. Don't quit. It is so easy to become discouraged with life, the events of life, people. I think people can be more discouraging than events sometimes, but you, you know what I mean. It's so easy to become consumed with the things of this world that we can become discouraged and Jesus is telling us not to quit. Here in this story we have we have two two people in this in this parable that Jesus tells us. We have the story uh, that we have the the woman and uh, the judge. So this morning I want to talk about my first point this morning is the obstacles the obstacles that she had to overcome. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, but she had three major obstacles that she had to overcome in order to be uh, to, to get to... Well, anyway, let, let's just talk about these, these obstacles. The first one was she was a woman. The first obstacle, she was just simply just a woman. And, and, and you say, that shouldn't be an obstacle. And you're right, it should not have been an obstacle, but it was an obstacle. Because in that society, in that time, women had very few, if any, rights. In fact, if you go to the Middle East, it's still that way. So she had to overcome the fact that she was a she was a woman, and 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 specifically in the context. Okay, what is the context that we're talking about here? It's a court, right? Because that that he's a judge, so he, he's in court. So if 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 women in that society had very few rights, if any, she had absolutely no rights in court. In fact, she wasn't even allowed to go into court. And you may be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, but the judge rules in her favor eventually, but she never goes to court. And I'll explain that as, as we go through the message. But so she's not even, because she's a woman, she's not even allowed to go to court. But as, like I said a minute ago, as, as, as we'll see by the end of the story, that doesn't stop her. The second obstacle that she had to overcome was the fact that she was a widow, which made, made being a woman even worse. Because now she had a husband, but he's no longer there on the scene, and he had she had no man to defend her, no you know, typically, if it was an unmarried woman, then the father would have been the, the protector figure, uh, the, head, the head over her. But the fact that she had been married and left the home, and now she was a widow, she had nothing, and she had nobody to protect her. She had nobody to go to the court 
to get this problem reconciled. She had no hope. A little side note here. I, I, I don't know if you find this interesting. I did, so I get to share it with you because I'm the pastor. Um, but Luke mentions widows more than any other, other more than any of the other gospel writers. And I, I did a little research on it, and most theologians believe it was because Luke was a physician, and because he was a physician, he was more than likely a very compassionate guy. But in, it, it, you, if you're interested, I'm going to give these to you very quickly, but if you want this list, I can give it to you later. Uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 37 and 38. Luke chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke 20, verses 45 to 47. And uh, Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As As I contemplated this, and thought about the fact that she was she was a woman, and that, but more, more importantly, that she was a widow, and the fact that she had no rights, she had no ability for uh, any kind of legal argument at all, is is actually very contrary to the teachings of the Old Testament. Because in multiple places, in Exodus chapter 22 and Deuteronomy 14 and Deuteronomy 16, Psalm 146, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, Jeremiah 7, just to name a few, God commanded the children of Israel to take care of the widows and orphans. But in this society, when Jesus was alive, they had no rights. They had forgotten what God had told them to do. Obstacle number three. Obstacle number three. She was poor. Say, well, okay. Well, most widows were poor. Because once the husband died, any wealth that was in the family was was absorbed elsewhere. And she was usually, uh, again, even in the Middle East today, uh, a widows are normally homeless. Don't believe me, go to Afghanistan. They're all over the place. Because everything revolved around the male. So, let's talk about the impact of being poor to the context of what we're talking about here. In our society today, when we think of the word court, we think of a building somewhere that um, you go to uh, where legal matters are handled, right? And it's usually a very nice building. Uh, you know, you have the, 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 the judge's seat. You have a, you have a um, um, jury, uh, you know, a place for the jury to sit and so on and so forth. That is not anywhere close to the courtroom that she had to deal with here. The courtroom in this in this setting would have been a tent, and the judge would have 
for lack of better terms, ridden, ridden a circuit of sorts. So he would be over here uh, on Mondays, he'd be over here on Tuesdays, and he would just rotate around. And the tent, uh, my understanding, had no walls on it. So it was a large tent, and he had a similar, I guess, to our judges today, a very prominent seat in the court. And within the court, he would have had a lot of uh, assistants helping with the 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 the, the thing the the or um, the the function of the court, if you would. What was interesting about court then, from the way we do court today, is the judge set the agenda. There was no jury, and it didn't matter what the law said, what he said was final. There was, there was no appeals court, <laughs> if you would. It was, it was completely and totally up to him. And the problem was to even see the judge, you had to bribe one of his assistants to even see the judge. And then if, if, you, if you bribed enough, the assistant would then convince the judge, probably by paying off the judge, how to rule in the case. So the fact that she was poor meant that she couldn't pay anybody off. She had no recourse. And as Jesus tells this parable, and the people that were listening to this parable knew knew the obstacles that this woman had to get over in order for the judge to rule in her favor. They all knew that the the justice system was rigged. They all knew the fact that she was a woman and the fact that she was a widow and poor. She didn't stand a chance. we could say there was no chance for her to have a fair trial. Now I want to take a minute and I want to talk about the word fair. What's fair? In reference to praying, because this is, is not the, this parable talking about prayer, so when we pray and God answers or does not answer prayer by, you know, who, who gets to be the one to define what is fair for you and what is not fair? Have you ever thought about that? Because we can go through life and we can say, well, no, wait a second, this, this is not fair. Why should I have to go through this? Or why should my family have to go through this? And why should, you know, why should, and we could go on with scenarios, endless scenarios. But who establishes what is fair? 
Now we all know the religious answer to that, and that is who? God. But do we really believe that? We know it intellectually, but do we know it in our hearts? I have four questions for you to help answer that question so that you can help yourself understand how much God really does love you. Question number one. Do I live in a world where God loves me? Do I live in a world where God loves me? I hope the answer to that is yes. Because I do. Question number two. Do I live in a world where God is in control? Absolutely we do. Now, now, does it always feel like he's in control? No. I mean, you watch the news and it, I mean, it's like the world's coming apart. That's why I don't watch the news. It's depressing. But I happen to live in a world that God is in control. Question number three. Do I live in a world where God knows what's best for me? Do I I truly believe that God knows what is best for me? And I have to say yes, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have to believe that. But the the, the the hard question is question number four. And that is this. Do I live in a world where God wants what's best for me? See, it's one thing to say, I know that God, God knows what's best for me, but does he really want what's best for me? Or will he do what's best for me? And sometimes we have trouble filtering the, the, the problems of life through that word, do. Will God do what's best for me? And we say, how can what I'm going through be best for me? I don't have the answer to that. I don't. But I have to believe. Let me give an illustration. Yes, uh, no, not yesterday, Friday. Friday, I had an, an incredibly horrible migraine. It was one of the worst I've had in a long, long time. And as I was laying down in bed and my head just pounding, I thank God for my headache. Say, how can you do that? I have to. I have to. I have to thank God for everything in my life because there's a reason for it. I don't have a clue. (laughs) I have no clue why I get migraines. But I have to thank God for them because they are God-ordained. Because everything in my life comes from the Father above. I have to believe that. Psalm chapter 139, verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. 
and my soul knoweth right well. Marvelous are thy works. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So we talked about the obstacles that she had to overcome. So let's let's talk about some contrasts. There are there are many contrasts in this in this passage that I, I hope will help you understand how much God wants you to pray. Because ultimately is that not the purpose of this this parable? To get us to understand that we need to pray. The first contrast I want to point out is the contrast. Uh, he contrasted prayer and fainting. In verse 1, he says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and faint not. What is the principle here? If you stop praying, you will faint. Let me put it to you another way. If you lock your knees, you will faint. It's inevitable. Don't stop. Pray. Prayer is is the, the lifeline for a believer in Jesus Christ. If we if we lose that lifeline, we will faint. It is that simple. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 7 15 to 17 says see that none render evil for evil unto any man but but every follow uh, but excuse me but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men rejoice evermore What's the next verse? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing. So let's talk about verse 17 here for a minute. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? And I've had people ask me uh, since I've been a pastor, how, how do you do that? You walk around like a monk, you know, and, you know, please don't do that in drive, okay? That's not a good thing. Uh, that's really not a good thing. But how do, we, how do we pray without ceasing? The answer is really simple. Prayer should be as natural to you and me as breathing. Other than when you are not feeling well, how many times have you ever had to say, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale? You don't. You just do it without thinking. And that is how we get to the point in our lives where we pray without ceasing, when, when prayer come, becomes as natural as breathing. Prayer also is much more than words that pass over our lips. Prayer is something that comes from the heart. 
Now, I, I, I like to pray driving down the road. That, that's one of the things I do. Uh, I, I keep my eyes open. <laughs> I, I promise you I do that. Um, but I just, it, it is just a, a thing that I do from my heart to God's heart. I, I just, I, I do the best I can to just keep a constant flow between my heart and God's heart. And I've, I, I've learned that that kind of prayer is some of the most precious time that I can spend with God. This morning before, before the service, I, I, was, I, I had gone through and I typically read through my message once or twice and just kind of make sure I'm, I'm on the same page with myself, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, I usually, and I said, and I was done a little early this morning and I just sat there and I said, God, use me this morning. Just use me. You know, there's nothing, there, there, our prayers don't need to be complicated. God just wants to hear from us. And our prayers need to come from the heart. So don't quit praying. The second contrast that he points out here is he contrasted the widow from God's people. Look at verse verse 2. Saying, there was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. Well, that's a pretty arrogant guy. Okay, just, just saying. And there was a widow in the city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me, mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said unto himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Important truth here. Please, Please get this. This is important. If a poor widow can get justice, if you would, from a selfish, egotistical judge, how much more will our Heavenly Father give you and me? How much more? I mean, this judge, the only reason he... he, did anything was to get her off his back. But we have a God that loves us and cares about us and wants to do what is best for us. How much more I want to talk about specifically four contrasts in this woman's life that we see here between her and us. Four beautiful pictures that we have. Number one, she was a stranger to the judge. 
We are his family. Yet he, he answered her request. Won't God answer ours? A Luke, Luke 11, 13. If he then, being evil, know how to give gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We have a Father that loves us and wants to do what's best for us. And he was a perfect stranger and only wanted to just get her, get her, get her, just get away from me. How very sad. Something else. She didn't have any access to the judge. She couldn't, she couldn't. She was a female, she had no husband. And she was poor. She had there was absolutely no way for her to get to the judge. But we have access to God 24/7. Pray without ceasing. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16, one of my favorite passages of scripture. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but will in all points, uh, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us. Therefore, because of all of the the stuff in the first two verses, therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. God does not want us to come to the throne and, uh, well, well, God, uh, you know, if you know, if you feel like it, you know, uh, could you answer this prayer? For, no, we are to go. God, I need you. I need you in my life. That's how God wants us to respond—to come boldly to the throne of grace. And and let me say this: not irreverently, okay? Okay, the word boldly here means to come with confidence, not not in arrogance. Okay, there's a difference. She had no friend in the court. Another contrast. <clears throat> she had no advocate. She couldn't bribe anybody. She had no friends, no family, <clears throat> nobody to to intercede for her. But praise God, we do. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate. The word advocate there is a lawyer. We have a lawyer that, uh, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That means that 
Jesus Christ as our lawyer and representing us to God. What an incredible thing. She had no one. Yet he granted her request. Why wouldn't God grant our request? Her only recourse, and, and you, now you might have gotten to the point and say, okay, how in the world did she get to the judge? How many of you are actually thinking that right now? Okay, a couple of you, okay. <clears throat> okay, let me tell you how she got to him. What she was doing was she was walking around the tent, yelling and screaming, in other words, she, she was becoming a nuisance. And as the court was going on in the tent, she's walking around making a scene to the point where the judge finally got to the point where he's like, okay, okay, okay. I Just shut her up. That's what was happening. That was, that was the only recourse that she had, was to, to irritate the judge long enough. I don't know. This is, this is me. I kind of had a feeling as he went from this town to this town to this, she followed him and was tormenting him because the word was used here that he was getting weary of her. And he finally gives in and says, okay, lady, what do you want? It's yours. Just leave me alone. How much more does your heavenly father love you than that? <clears throat> as, I, as I was thinking about this, and I could just picture this woman walking around just screaming and hollering and making a scene and you know, it's a good thing her husband was dead because he'd have been going, you're really embarrassing me here, you know. <clears throat> but as I, as I was thinking about this, I just, I just my, I, my imagination is awesome. I love it. Um, I, just, I, I just see her going from town, just following him wherever he is, just, just driving him nuts. I thought of this. I thought of Mount Carmel. What happened on Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, and he's going to, for lack of better terms, put on a show to show the children of Israel who God is. And, he, and he, they go to Mount Carmel and he calls all the prophets of Baal together and they, and they, 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 they come together and, and he says, okay, you first. Whichever God answers prayers first will be the God. And he says, you go first. So let's pick it up in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 27 and 28. Uh, and it came to pass at noon. So they had been going for a while and nothing had happened. And, and Elijah was, was kind of, oh, what is your God asleep? Is on vacation? You know, and he's just, he's kind of ribbing them a little. And he says, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and saying, cry aloud for, is, uh, uh, for he is a God 
uh, either he is talking or he is pursuing or is he uh, is he on a journey or peradventure he is asleep and uh, and must be awakened and they cried aloud and in other words they got louder and louder and louder and cut themselves after their manner with knives and uh, lancast uh, till blood gushed out unto un, unto them. They, what were they doing? They were cutting themselves. They were screaming, and they were putting on this big show, and nothing happened. But the reason I brought you to this passage is because of the prayer of Elijah. After this big thing, he, he has all the this water just poured onto the to, onto the altar to prove the the mighty power of God. But as I read this, I want you to listen to the simplicity of the prayer of Elijah. I, I counted the words. I think it was like 21 words. These the, the, the prophets of Baal went on for hours and nothing happened. But 20, 21 or 22 words, I can't remember. I, I, anyway, you can count them. But listen, to the, listen to, the, to the heart and the simplicity of Elijah's prayer. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. That's it. That was the prayer. It wasn't this big elaborate thing. It was just Elijah's heart communicating with the heart of God. And many people ask me, Pastor, you know, they get saved and they, they, they don't know how to pray. And they come to me and they say, Pastor, how do I pray? Just talk to God. It's really that simple because that's what Elijah does here. He just talks to God. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You want to answer to prayer? Just talk to God. That simple. I got to move on. Okay. <clears throat> she had no guarantee. That, another contrast here. Says she had no guarantee that this guy was going to listen to her. No guarantee at all. But we have a guarantee that God hears our prayers. And he will answer them. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything According to what? His will. What is his will? His will goes back to the one of the questions I asked at the beginning. Will he do what is best for me? That's his will. And he will hear and answer according to his will for our lives. Another contrast that she had is she had to go to the court of law where we get to go to the throne of grace. Praise God for that. See, the judge could have, I, I don't know, 
But he did not have to rule in her favor. There was no obligation to that at all. But we get to go to the throne of grace. What an incredible truth. Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in type of, and, 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 and find grace to help in time of need. She pled out of her poverty and we out of our riches and glory. You see the contrasts? Beautiful contrast. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, uh, 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 according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So, the contrast. He contrasted prayer and fainting. You don't pray, you're going to faint. You lock your knees, you're going to faint. It's that simple. He, contrast, uh, <clears throat> he contrasted the widow with God's people. And then thirdly, he contrasted the judge with the father. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Father of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. It is an awesome thing. It is an awesome thing that we don't have to walk around the tent of God yelling and screaming and making a scene and becoming a nuisance until God says, okay, what do you want? Isn't that an awesome thing? We don't have to do that. All we have to do is go to God Lay our burdens down before him. What a beautiful picture he gives us. What a beautiful picture. The only reason, the only reason the judge ruled in her favor was to get rid of her. Don't you, I don't know about you, but I find it an incredible blessing to know that God doesn't want to get rid of me. I think he, well, I would want to get rid of me. But he doesn't want to get rid of me. Why? Because he loves me. Let me close with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Do I live in a world where God loves me? Absolutely I do. Do I live in a world where where God is in control. Absolutely, I do. Do I live in a world where God knows what is best for me? Absolutely, I do. And then number four, do I live in a world 
where God will do what is best for me. Whether I like it or not, I do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for your day, for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I do ask that you would meet with us this morning and that you would just do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to, to see and to know how much you love us and how much you desire to spend time with us. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, help us to never forget. Never forget that you're always there for us. Always. We are so blessed. Help us. With every 